0: Good morning again. I say again because it's my uh, third time preaching here, and I was just, you know, telling these lovely folks over here. It's just been such a privilege and honor to come here uh, and just not only preach, but just to get to know y'all and to be able to um, uh, just feel so loved and welcomed every time we come here. I'm on the tail end of a head cold, so I. Uh, sorry if I'm a little nasally uh, this morning. Um, but I'm excited today to be preaching to you guys because we're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite topics, which is food, by the way. Uh, and it's 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 all about it's all about the good home cooking uh, for me. I mean, we think about this though, and just 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 kind of just kind of roll with me for a second. Think about your favorite meal right now. If you could have any meal that you want, whatever you want, how you like it prepared, how who you want to prepare it even. <laughs> Uh, and and how much of it that that you could want? What would it be for you? For me, it's definitely Thanksgiving food, and I'm not talking about just anybody's Thanksgiving food. I'm talking about all of the mamas and the grandmamas, all those recipes, all those home cooking, right? Everything from dinner and dessert, all that stuff. That's definitely a favorite for me. For me, and y'all know what I'm I'm talking about here when I say that. But uh, think about your favorite meal. I mean, what is it? about our favorite meal that we love so much? Is it the the deliciousness of it? How good it tastes? Is it that satisfying, full feeling and food coma that you get afterwards? Is it the nap that precedes it? Uh, I mean, any any of those reasons uh, are great, but there's just one problem when it comes to any of our favorite meals, and that's it will eventually leave us hungry again. And so, okay, okay, so we try it again, we have it again, and even if we could have our favorite meal as much as we want, eventually, we'd get sick and tired of it. We'd, it would become bland, and we'd want to move on to something else, and we'd pick a new favorite meal or a new favorite thing uh, to indulge in. Now, I'm, you know, I'm excited about food, but why am I talking about this? Because really, a lot of times, this is how we indulge in life. We have cravings and desires, things that we really long to have satisfied. I mean, I know I certainly do. I have a tendency that when life gets really stressful or life gets really anxious, that I tend to chase after things or go after things that I think are gonna make me feel better. Uh, I mean, when we, we often will go through great efforts to plan, to save up money for, even pray for things that we think we need God to do for us to make us feel satisfied, to make us feel happy, to make us feel comfortable, to make us feel whole again. Uh, and the truth is, A lot of times, and I'm talking about these earthly things. A lot of times, they give us a sense of of temporary satisfaction or temporary pleasure. It's often quickly fading, very fleeting, and like our favorite meals, will eventually leave us wanting more again. So then, what do we do? Well, we move on to the next things, and then eventually, we get ourselves caught in this loop of ever instead of truly dealing with whatever this craving is through God. We just move on to the next thing of self-medicating and self-indulging in more and more things. You know, Rich was praying earlier. He said, you know, we, you know God, help us when we chase after gods. And you might be thinking, well, I don't chase after gods. But no. But we, what do we do? We tend to chase after things that, like I said, I'm, I, like I like to call, that we use to self-medicate our needs. That we use to self-medicate our desires instead of turning towards God. So that's really what our sermon is gonna be about today. We're gonna to be in John chapter six, and we're gonna look at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, okay? Now, bear with me for a moment. Some of you, if you've grown up in the church or if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably heard this story a hundred times. And, and you should, because it's in, the, it's in all four Gospels. But I'm, it's my hope and prayer today that the Holy Spirit's gonna to speak to you in a different way uh, today, and that, that God's truth, will reign uh, in your hearts as he speaks to you today. So if you're willing and if you're able, let's honor God through the reading of his word. So would you join me? Please stand as we read through John chapter six. We're gonna read verses one through 14. John six, one through 14 says this. After this, Jesus went away to uh, to the side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. So lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test them for he himself knew what he would do. Philip, Philip answered him saying, 200 denarii, Worth of bread would not be enough for each of them just to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given things, he distributed, the, uh, to the, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover garments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves and left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Please pray with me. Father, We come before you this morning, Lord, as people who, like the people in this story, need to be nourished by your word. Father, we are a needy people. There are things that trouble our minds during the day and things that we think about at night when we rest our head on our pillows that keep us up. Lord, you know what these things are. So we pray this morning, Father, that you would help us to see how it is that you ultimately fulfill our needs through your word, how you ultimately fulfill our needs through you. Would your Holy Spirit speak to us now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So the title of our sermon today is called Beyond Our Needs. And I have three points that I wanna share with you today on how Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of our needs. The first point is this is that Christ knows our every need. Christ knows our every need. So in this story that we just read, Jesus is being followed by a very large crowd because he's been doing these signs and miracles all throughout the place. And as the the more he does, the more people that just kind of come along and want to see what this Jesus guy is all about and what it is that he's up to, what is he doing? So these people have been following him for a a while, uh, you know, day after day, trying to keep up with him. And so uh, in this particular story, as I mentioned earlier, this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which is actually recorded in all four Gospels. And what we know from these accounts is that the crowd of 5,000 people is actually more like fifteen to 20,000, because both Matthew and Mark make it clear that they're, they just counted the men. They're just referring to the men. Even John said it. So really, if you include the women and the children in this story, we're actually looking at more like 15 to 20,000 people all together. But here's the thing, is even though Jesus has not met the majority of them, he already knew them. He knew their needs and he knew their needs very well. Let me show you what I'm talking about, what I mean by this. Looking back here in John 6, 5, it says this, lifting his eyes then, Seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So Jesus knew this crowd was coming and that they needed to be cared for. He was concerned with their needs. Well, let me, let me give you a couple of other examples from, all the, from the other four gospels uh, of this miraculous feeding event. In Mark 6, it says he, referring to Jesus, had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Now how did he know that? Of course, he's Jesus. Matthew 14 and Luke 9, he healed their sick and healed those who needed healing. And then again back to Mark 6 and Luke 9, both of these say and he spoke to them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. He understands their needs. He's encompassed and addressed all of their needs. It's because if I mean follow along with me for a second, this isn't a typical story of Jesus that we usually read about where someone comes running to Jesus saying, Jesus, please help me with this, or please help my brother with this, or my daughter with this, or my wife with this, or any, anything like that. None of the four gospels even tell us in the story that people had to first come to Jesus and plead to them before he even understood what their needs were. He already knew, and, he, and his compassion, as we read, was already thriving for these people. Before the crowd could even catch up to him, he already knew and desired to care for the needs of them. And listen, we're not just talking about hungry bellies, okay? That's what the crowd might be thinking about. We're not just talking about hungry bellies. We're talking physical needs, mental needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, and I just want to emphasize this because this is so important, is the way Jesus responds to these needs. In Mark 6, 34, he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In our own time of need, Christ responds to us with Compassion. Author W.W. Norton talks about our needs and and he puts it like this. He says, for me and many of us, our first waking thought of the day is I didn't get enough sleep. That's amen. The next one, I don't have enough time. Whether that's true or not, the thought of not having enough occurs to us automatically even before we begin to even think about that question or examine it. We spend most of our hours and our days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about we don't have enough of blank. Norton continues, he says, before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already feeling inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with thoughts of what we didn't get or what we didn't get done. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to that feeling of lacking. This internal condition, this mindset of scarcity, lives at the very heart of our jealousies, of our greed, of our prejudice, of our arguments with life. And I'm adding on at the end, and our frustrations with God. God has not forgotten our needs. God has not forsaken our needs. Sometimes it feels like we go to God and say, God, I need this, and then we get frustrated with God because it feels like he's not answering our prayers or he did answer our prayers, but not in the way that we think he should have answered our prayers. And if you're somebody today, you're feeling this way, I can't tell you how or when or why God is or isn't answering your prayer yet, but I can tell you this, is that God has a plan, God has a will, and I assure you without a doubt that his plan and his will will be bigger and better than anything any of us could ever come up with for ourselves. And I assure you by God's word that it is his plan and will is for your best and for his glory. In Isaiah 58, God says this, My plans aren't your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher and the and just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My plans and my plans are higher than your plans. And listen, I don't share that with you today that Isaiah 58 passage to make you feel insignificant or to make you feel like God's dismissing your needs by saying, oh, that's your problem. My problem, you know, these these are things I'm working on. That's your problem. That's not what God is is saying here. I'm sharing this with you to say that his compassion for you is such that he will care for your needs the best way and, and the better way than anything that we have in mind. So often we go to God and say, God, please give me what I want. And if God were to really do that, it would probably turn up for, for, our, for our destruction in the end. Because we think we want to control life. We think we want to control God and say, God, this is what I want to do. And here's the problem. If we go to God and always say, God, this is what I want and I expect you to do it. He's not God anymore. That makes us God. We often hold back going to God. Because we think our needs are too small, our needs are too big, or we're afraid that God won't care for us, or that he's going to care for us in a way that we don't think he should, (laughs) or that God just simply doesn't care. For now, for this point in our sermon, I just want to say and ask us all of this. Are we willing to believe that Christ understands our needs today? And are we willing to trust in him that he will care? for our needs, that he understands our needs better than we even understand our own needs? Are you willing to surrender your needs to Christ and allow him to care for your needs and care for them according to his will, his plan, and his timing? He cares for our needs with such a wisdom and a compassion and a power that we can't. We're gonna see that here just in a second. But this leads to our our second point is not only does Christ know our needs, but ultimately point number two is only Christ can fulfill your needs. Christ knows our needs and Christ fulfills our needs. Let's go back to verses five through nine. I wanna read these again. John six, five through nine. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said, to, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, two denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get only a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five loaves, uh, five barley loaves, and two fish. But what are they for so many? Let me ask you a question. And ultimately, this is the same question that Andrew is asking Jesus in this story. If we were to try to come up with a number, if all of us collectively were to try to come up with a number, how many fish and lo- how many uh, loaves of bread and fish do you think it would take to feed everybody? Fifteen to twenty thousand people. How much do you guys think it would take? Well, according to Andrew, five loaves and two, and two fish certainly isn't enough. <laughs> And according to Philip, 200 denarii would not be enough, which by the way, 200 denarii today is about eight months worth of wages. Think about that. Think about eight months of income or eight months of savings would not be enough. But ultimately, there's a deeper thing going on here. The disciples are saying, there's no way we can take care of the needs of these people. It's just, we just just can't do it. We don't have... We, we, we can't do it. We don't have the money or the ability to do this. They're essentially telling Jesus it can't be done. It's impossible. We won't have enough. And see, the problem does seem unsolvable because the math and the, log- the logic here certainly doesn't work out. So they're left feeling stuck and hopeless. Can we ever relate to that, by the way? God, I feel very stuck and hopeless. I don't know how the logic and the math is gonna work out. Have you ever said to God, I just don't know how I'm going to get through this? Or God, I don't know how you're going to solve this problem. Or even, God, what are you doing up there and why are you allowing this to happen? Let's go back to verses 11 and 13. Let's pick back up in there. Jesus then took the loaves and he had given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, Uh, excuse me, lost my place. When he had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets and fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. You see, the real problem here was not Christ's ability to take care of the needs of the people. The problem is that the disciples were still thinking at an earthly level. If you were to read all the previous chapters of just John, you would see that the disciples had already witnessed Jesus doing miraculous things Had already witnessed him overcoming the impossible. And yet, even now, there's still doubt. There's still disbelief. There's still a lack of faith in what Jesus can do. Their faith, though, seems to be coming from themselves and their understanding trying to determine how they will solve the problem through their own means. And listen, there's nothing wrong with taking ownership of a problem and taking responsibility of an issue and wanting to take care of it. I'm not saying that, okay? Hear me correctly on this. The problem here is the, all they could think about. The only thing they could think to do was to look to themselves for the solution. They turned to themselves first. Their faith was in themselves, not in Christ. How many times ourselves do we witness God answering prayers in mighty ways in our lives or other people's lives, and yet, even today, we still doubt? How often do we look to ourselves for the solution instead of first, depending on God? This is a question that we often have to ask in My wife and I in our household in times of stress and concerns is, man, how many times does God have to prove himself faithful before we believe that he will take care of us better than we can? How does Jesus respond to this? Being compassionate and patient with their lack of faith, he proves to still be faithful. With a thankful attitude, he praises God for what God has provided And everybody eats. Everybody's needs are taken care of. And not only does everybody get to eat some, John says in verse 11, they had their fill. In other words, they got as much as they wanted. Thinking about back to your favorite meal, as much as they wanted. And even though everyone got as much as they wanted, there was still food left over and that amount of food was even more than they began with. Verse 13, they started with five loaves and two fish and they ended with 12 baskets of leftover food. It doesn't make any earthly or logical sense. Yet Jesus proved faithful and provided for their needs. and Not only just provided, he blessed them abundantly. We call that God math, by the way. He cares for our needs and our wisdom with such a, uh, sorry, he cares for our needs with such a wisdom and compassion and power that we can't. There's a story that that relates to this, a true story, and I want to share it with you. In the latter half of the 17th century, German preacher August H. Franke founded an orphanage to care for homeless children in Holly. And Frankie was desperately in need of funds to carry on his work for the orphanage and provide himself with meals. So one day, a destitute Christian widow came to his door begging for just a single gold coin. But because of his financial situation, Frankie Frankie politely told her he couldn't help her. So the woman broke down and began to weep and sob at the doorstep of the orphanage. So Frankie moved by her tears asked her to wait as he went patiently or as he asked her to wait patiently as he went to his room to pray after seeking God's guidance in prayer he felt that the holy spirit wanted him to change his mind so trusting that the lord would meet his own needs he gave her the only gold coin that he had two mornings later he received a letter of thanks from a widow she explained that because of his generosity she asked the Lord to shower the orphanage with gifts. So that same day, Frankie received 12 gold coins from a wealthy lady, followed by two more from a friend in Sweden. Additionally, he was later informed that the orphanage would receive 500 gold coins from the estate of Prince Wutenberg. And when he heard this, Frankie wept in gratitude because in trusting God to provide for his needs, he had been enriched and blessed, not impoverished. God math. Christ knows your needs and knows how to meet them. And when we follow Christ, we place our faith in him. He is our ultimate provider, and he is always faithful to take care of us, even when we're often at times not faithful to him. And sometimes we don't even recognize it because what do we do? We applaud ourselves as if everything we have is the result of our own doing, our own efforts, and our own hard work. And please don't misunderstand me again. I'm not saying that you should never work to provide for yourself or for your family. I'm also not saying that God is gonna grant you everything you crave and desire. Neither of these things are biblical. (laughs) But in fact, God calls us to care for the responsibilities. He calls us to care for the possessions and he calls us for the care for the people, but these are all things that he has given to us. So what I am challenging you to do though is ask yourself, as God has called you wherever you are in life right now, whatever responsibilities you have, whatever opportunities you have, whatever possessions you have, whatever people God has given to you to care for, are you ultimately placing your faith in yourself, or are you first placing your faith in God? Are you praising God for all that you have, or are you patting yourself on the back? If you are struggling today to understand how God has been caring for you, or if you're like me and you you tend to take some of the basic things in life for granted, here are just a few things that I wanna give you that God has provided you and blessed you with. A job, income, or the ability to pay for needs. A roof over your head. Hot meals on a table. Warm bed, clean water, clothes on your back. Electricity, air conditioning. Thank the Lord we live in Charleston. Heat, transportation, friends, family, loved ones. Opportunities, special moments, memories, memories. Peace, joy, hope, love, mercy, and grace. Answered prayers, and specifically for East Bridge Church, prayers, support, and encouragement from the entire presbytery, men willing to proclaim the gospel, and a new pastor. God has certainly been generous and caring for all of us. And we need to understand, though, that, listen, listen, We've been talking about God providing for our needs, but that's not the end game here. God desires to care for our needs. Christ desires to care for us, but he desires to care for us more than just our needs, which leads us to our last point today, is only Christ can sustain you beyond your needs. So he knows our needs, he fulfills our needs, but he also, only Christ and sustain us beyond our needs. Going back to our story, the next day, Jesus got in a boat and crossed the lake. And Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus' disciples got in the boat and crossed the lake. Jesus walked around and met his disciples on the other side. So the large crowd who had been blessed by the filling of the food came back the next day to where Jesus had performed that miracle only to find that he left so they were confused as to where Jesus went, so they decided, let's go get some more food. So they got in boats, I'm not ad- ad- living, but they got in some boats and they left across the lake to go find him out or go seek him out. Now, we didn't read this earlier, but let's look at, at John 6, 25 through 29 to see what happens next. John 6, 25 through 29. So, just uh, picking up where the crowd finds Jesus. So when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are, not seeking, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, God the father has set his seal. So they began to say to him, what must we do, uh, I'm sorry, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who, has, who he has sent. I wonder if you caught what Jesus said to the crowd. He'd never answered their question that they had on their mind about when and how he got to the other side of the lake, <laughs> but rather, He addresses their heart issue and calls them out on their motives for seeking him out. Verse 26 Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. The crowd isn't following Jesus because of the importance of the miracle. They're following him because they had their bellies filled and they want more of whatever else Jesus can do for him, for them. They want Jesus for his materialistic provisions to them. They missed the significance of the miracle. They missed that Jesus is more than just some prophet or just some teacher, that he can do things only God himself can do. He comes not just to fill their bellies, but to fill their hearts. Not just to heal their bodies, but to raise their spirits from the dead and fill them with life. The crowd, and don't miss this, is so self-focused that they can't see how their earthly desires and earthly cravings are blinding them to their greater need. They're not just lacking physically here. They're lacking spiritually. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. We can easily sit back and read this story and judge the audience thinking, I would never be like that. I would never treat Jesus that way. But we have to ask ourselves, do we just go to God because of what he can do for us? for our cravings, for our desires? Or do we even go to God because we want to be closer to him, not just because of what prayers he will grant to us? And listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't go to God when, we're, when we are in times of need. We certainly should. But how often do we just treat God as an end to a means, or sorry, to a means to an end? As a great preacher once said, we want God to fulfill our desires more than we want God himself. And I've got to tell you, God wants you for so much more than what earthly needs he can meet for you. He wants your heart. He wants you. He can sustain you beyond anything on this earth can. I'm talking eternal, everlasting fulfillment and satisfaction that will go beyond all of, all of time, all of eternity. There is nothing on this earth that will ever last forever except for the love of Christ. The problem, is that we, the problem in our lives is not that we need more miracles. The problem in our lives is that we fail to believe. We fail to trust and we fail to desire God for who he truly is as our creator, as our savior, as our redeemer, author and editor and finisher of our lives. We want a God that does what we want to fulfill the plans that we have, not a God who calls us to submit ourselves to his plan, his will, his timing and his care for us. As John says in John 20, do we, do we believe we can truly have life in his name? Do we believe that he will truly sustain us? Do we live as if we have eternal life from our king? Or are we still trying to be the rulers of our own lives? When are we gonna be willing to give up our crowns and worship Jesus simply because he is king of the universe? 2013-2014 was the roughest time of my entire life. I was recovering from a divorce and my dad had passed away from cancer and in all of that I racked up a very large debt, all of this which incurred in less than a year part. I truly felt very alone and very much on my own in life. So what did I do? Well, I started the self-medicating. I began dating hoping someone would make me feel whole again. I made new friends hoping they could feel the void of loneliness in my heart. I looked for ways to, to heal my wounds. And listen, after dates not panning out to anything, well, until now, after dates did not pan out into anything, after friends that couldn't heal the wounds in my heart, after no amount of material things that I was buying to try to fill that hole, nothing was working. Nothing was healing me and I began to feel absolute rock bottom. I was stuck, much like our disciples were. Sitting there alone one night, trying to figure out how I even got myself here, I realized that the only thing left to do, that I could do, that I should have been doing, was simply pray and depend on God. And as I began to pray, God spoke to me and helped me to realize that I just didn't need to pray for my circumstances, but I needed to pray for my brokenness And failure to follow him. I needed to pray that God would draw me back to him after I walked away and tried to do so many things on my own. And even though I lifted up my circumstances to God, it was ultimately God who lifted me up out of the pit into his marvelous grace and sustained me. I really thought I needed healing from debt and divorce and grief, and I did, I really did. But the greater healing was God restoring my heart back to him. And in the end, there was no self-medication, no remedy for me apart from Christ because ultimately he fulfilled me beyond my basic needs. So as we get ready to close out here in a moment, I want to remind you of a couple things we've, we've talked about today. First, God knows our needs. He knows your needs. He hasn't forgotten you and he hasn't forsaken you. In fact, he knows our needs better than we do. Secondly, his compassion for you is such that he wants to care for your needs. But we have to be willing to surrender them over to him and depend on him first and trust that he will provide for us in accordance to his will, his timing, not our own we must first look to him before we look to ourselves. Lastly, God not only wants to care for you, he desires your heart. He desires to show you an eternal love and mercy and grace and everlasting life that is found in him alone. I don't know what your needs are today. I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know what you've been struggling with, but guess what? He certainly does. And whatever need you have, whatever you're going through, whatever craving or desire that's going unsatisfied, whatever wound that you've been trying to self-medicate, whatever hole you keep trying to fill, the good news is that there is no greater hope, no better healing, no better satisfaction than you can have in being in Christ. He can sustain you not only today for your needs, but for all eternity. Are you willing to place your faith and trust in him rather than yourself? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning as such a needy people, but God, you are so good to us. Even in the moments and the times when we don't understand what's going on, how we got here, how this could happen, or even in the moments when we don't understand or we're waiting patiently for you to answer a prayer. Father, we know from your word, we know from following you that you are always faithful to us. So this morning, Lord, we come before you to lean on you, to depend on you, but also to say thank you. Thank you for your mercy and grace that's new every day. Thank you for the morning sun that, br- that rises and brings word of your unfailing love for us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for living obediently, proclaiming the truth of the gospel, dying on the cross for us, raising again and ascending to your throne so that we, we who are so unworthy, we who are so unfaithful could have life in your name. Thank you for all the things that you've already done to care for us. And we thank you now for the things that you're going to do to care for us. In Christ's name we pray these Amen.